Welcome to the first episode of the Million Dollar Mortgage Experiences Negotiation Series for Mortgage Professionals. We have invited Black Swan Limited to share their high-stakes negotiation techniques and how you can use them in your everyday business. Black Swan was founded by the best-selling author of Never Split the Difference and high-stakes FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss. You may have seen his TED Talks and perhaps his masterclass, and now you'll have access to his years of experience in this series. Throughout the next four episodes, you will hear from negotiators who've worked with the FBI, CIA, and Pentagon, among other agencies. On this episode of the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience, John Maddox welcomes back negotiator Brandon Voss. The two speak about accusations audits, how to get a hotel upgrade almost every time, how to disarm bad news, and much more. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel with a bunch of great content just like this. So go over, like, share, and subscribe, and on to the show. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fun Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million-dollar opportunities. Welcome back to the podcast, Brandon. It is a pleasure to be back, John. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, finally face to face. So this is this is a pleasure, a treat, and uh, glad to have you here. So exactly right, man. Yeah, very, very, very happy to be here. Honored to be here in your presence. <laughs> for sure, man. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's 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 always interesting to talk to negotiators. Uh, I think for myself and probably for our audience because. It's, you know, it's one of those things that you grow up watching in movies. You grow up thinking like, you know, if I'm a good negotiator, then I'm, I, then I'm awesome. Right. It's like something that like, I think early on in, when you're a kid, you sort of throw back like, like cut downs to people. And then who's got the best cut down, who's the best kind of like, you know, has the best kind of upper hand in like a negotiation. So, so I think in negotiations, uh, it's, it's really going to be something that you, you, you know, you learn through your life and you experience through your life and then going into business and going into like a mortgage business, especially, you know, you have competition, you've got people who have unrealistic expectations, you've got all kinds of things. So I, I, I know you're going to give us some good insight on, you know, some, some things that, uh, that we need to know as mortgage brokers. So. Well, I, I hope so. That's why I'm here. But yeah, you, you hit it on the head. I think that's a general problem plaguing negotiations is this unrealistic expectations from the other side. Right. And especially in your in your business in a mortgage business, it is you see that all the time, and you got to reset those expectations, which is not always an easy thing to do. Right. Like, so how how do you do that if someone's got bad credit, or they just you know they hear all these radio ads, and they all are you know these ridiculously low rates that even maybe they can't do, even if they're perfect, but they tease you right with a like a little you know uh, clickbait. How do you get someone who's on the other end? to, to get like face reality that like, you know, okay, I can't have that perfect low rate, like, or, or, you know, probably in a, in a hostage situation to be like someone who just thinks they're going to get out of this situation in a, with, without prison time, without, you know, uh, being shot by a, you know, by a, uh, you know, like a cop or whatever. Right. So how do you get them to kind of face reality? What, what's the beginning steps, you know? Yeah, that, that is definitely a tough one, but it, it's amazing. And it's just, this applies to human nature across the board. It's amazing how easy it is for people to hear bad news or things that do not necessarily play to their advantage. If you warn them ahead of time that it's coming. 
How so? How do you warn them? Well, you I just drop it, little seeds of like, you know. Yeah, great question. And a lot of it comes from this this tool that we refer to as an accusations audit. Okay. And it, and it could be something as simple as, I'm going to tell you something that's going to screw up your whole day. Mm. I'm getting ready to lay some news on you, and you're going to feel let down by it. So you prep, like it's a prepare. You're preparing, uh, preparing them. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And, and we talk a lot about, especially these days from, uh, from a business side, we talk a lot about how negotiation is a series of emotional moments. Mm. And when you're getting ready to drop bad news on someone or you're getting ready to, to explain something to them to get them to face reality, mm-hmm. that's not always something that they're necessarily going to like. Right? right, right. And so if you have a precursor of an accusations order that just lays out like, Got some bad news, man. This is this is going to be tough news. Yeah. And I, when I tell you this, you're probably going to hate me. Right. And I, I even like to throw uh, humor into it. And I'll say things like, you know, you, you probably want to stab me right square in the chest when I lay this out for you. Right. And you look them right in the eye and they're like, OK, lay it on. Do me. you think they go into worst case mode? Like, is that part of because you're going to give them maybe less? It's not going to be worst case necessarily all the time. Sometimes it's probably worse than mm-hmm. what they imagine. But mm-hmm. do you think you're giving them sort of you're setting them up to imagine what the worst case is? See, that's that, that's a great point. I think you hit it. You hit it on the head. We, we talk about it. Never split the difference. We talk about this idea of perception anchors. Okay. And so this is a way to anchor their perception because when you when you lay that out for someone as mm-hmm. humans, they are automatically going to go to the worst case scenario mentally. Right. right. And so what it does for you is when you actually do lay out the bad news, mm-hmm. 99 times out of 100, it's actually going to be a relief to be because what better. they thought is is way worse than what <laughs> you actually had to say. That's a huge, that's that's amazing point. I love it. Yeah. Keep, keep elaborating on that. So um, give me an example maybe of one that, that you've done or. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I'll lay one out here. So this is, this is one I use all the time. Um, I, when I check into hotels, right, we travel a lot, we're uh-huh. training, we go different places, we're all over the country. So, uh, when I check into a hotel, I always want to have a negotiation story to share with whatever group I'm going to be with in town. Uh-huh. And it's going to be in relationship to negotiating a hotel upgrade. Gotcha. And when I we step all up face to that, the- you know, we go to hotels and. I wish I could get an upgrade every single time, right? That, that's exactly it, right? That's, that's so my goal. This upgrade is going to be a time. good information. I'm, let's go. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's it's fantastic. And when when I when I when we walk up to check in, the first thing out of my mouth is, "I'm getting ready to ask you a question that's going to make your day a lot harder than it already is." Okay. And I do it in that tone of voice too. Yeah. I want I want that kind of downward inflection right at the mm-hmm. very end, right? I'm getting, then, I'm getting ready to ask you a real. Serious question that's going to be hard. Make your day hard. Right, exactly. Make your day worse. Make your right? day worse, I just yeah. I assume that their day is already not going well. Right. And then it's a high percentage shot. Because if it is going well, they're like, oh, no, just lay it on me. If, it is, if it's bad, I'm, like, I'm playing right into the wheelhouse. Right, right. And uh, then I follow that with, this is going to make me sound like another spoiled hotel guest that's asking for something that they do not deserve. Okay. Go silent again. Okay, sir, well, what is it? How impossible would it be for you to give me an upgrade to a suite? Or another version of that is just simply, how bad of a position do I put you in by asking for an upgrade? Right. And I, 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 there, is no, there is no 100% shot, right? There's just the highest percentage of success. Mm-hmm. I haven't failed on that one yet. 
every time I, I you get one, I imagine it's coming. I imagine yeah. it's coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm in San Diego in suite in a corner suite in the tower room. So yeah, it, it works. You know what you're doing? I think, and what I'm hearing is is you're you're putting them in a position of power because then they can go, well, I can do this. Because when you said, is it impossible, right? Because we all know it's not impossible mm-hmm. unless there's unless every suite's already taken, right? Mm-hmm. But we're, you're giving them this like reverse, somehow, somehow it's like reverse psychology. Like you're taking this away from them. Like, I don't think you can do it. Kind of. Is that kind of what, what you're doing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a couple of things. That's definitely part of it. The other part of it is we have a tendency to negotiate for things with a sense of entitlement without right, realizing right. Like I expect it. that. Like, why didn't you, why can't you give me right. a, like I, I'm look how many points I had mm-hmm. with your hotel. Right. I'm entitled to a suite upgrade. And then they're like, they want to like be on defense. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that, that throws people off. People can feel that they right. feel that entitlement. You, it, 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 uh, what we like to say is your inner voice betrays your outer voice. And so yeah. on the inside, you're coming from a place of I'm the expert. I'm entitled to this. Mm-hmm. You should be able to give me this because of who I am, or you should be able to bend to my will issue, you, you should accept this rate because I know what the rate should be. Right. When you come from that place, people feel it. And it, and based on what we know about human nature, that's what causes people to dig their heels in because it, it infringes on their autonomy mm-hmm. and infringes on their ability to make decisions because this is what it's supposed to be. You don't actually have a say in what's going to happen. Right. Because this is what it's supposed to be. It's the not way consensual. That I it. It's not consensual. It's like you're pushing someone into doing what you will. And it's sort of like a, you know, an upper hand, like a boss pushing you to do something and versus you making that decision for yourself. Right. Right. You have no say. You're not in empowering the outcome. Them, yeah. yeah. You have no say in the outcome. And when people feel like they have no say in how this is going to break down or how it's going to work out in the long run, mm-hmm. it's that much harder to agree to what you had to say. And so you also, you, you made them think in their mind that this is going to be way worse. Like we talked about before, this is like your question is going to be way harder. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to help this guy. So you somehow set him up to, right. And he's, yeah. I love it. It's genius. That's, that, I'm going to use that. <laughs> I, I, please do. I, I'd love to go. hear about your hotel upgrades and how those conversations <laughs> are going. You know, I, I think you see, there's some people that do that naturally, I think. And they just, maybe it's kind of what we were talking about before offline. It's like they learned it somehow when they're being, you know, raised by their parents and saw their parents sort of act in that way. And so it comes naturally to them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something you can totally learn, right? And you can totally use and apply. Oh, very much so. I mean, it's 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 emotional intelligence. What it really mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. I'm, we, right, we mentioned emotional moments earlier, right? You know mm-hmm. that there are emotional moments coming that may be negative. Right. How do I get out in front of those? Right. And this is that's one of the ways to do it. So so it's safe to say you've got an amazing room at your hotel this, tonight. I do. I, I, I got a pretty good room. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, I got to say. <laughs> so you're traveling out here with in San Diego with Black Swan. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you got involved with Black Swan. So, and tell um, us a little bit about Black Swan, too, just for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and I like to say that I, I was born into it. I was, I was molded by it, right? right? Like, what right. is that, the movie 300 or whatever <laughs> yeah. that's from? Right. Um, but, yeah, to a certain degree, right? And uh, as we talked about earlier, watching your parents, I got a chance to, to watch my father operate. I got, I got a chance to see different ways that him and his team and the FBI were handling cases and how that affected the way that they were uh, setting up messaging in the media because they use the media to negotiate as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just watching my father work was definitely, definitely gave me a huge leg up. I think, I think in a lot of ways and plus my father and I've always been close. It's and good. so we talk about things, right? I've always, mm-hmm. I've always been a sounding board for him. He's always been a sounding board for me mm-hmm. and you know, negotiation is always part of that. It's what, that's something that he did. And 
I've always liked dealing with people. So when I wanted to get, you know, in my in my career, starting out in sales seemed like a great idea. I love dealing with people. I love having conversations. I, you know, navigating communication is 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 I've always found it extremely interesting. That's cool. So being uh, the son of a very talented and well-known negotiator, did you ever ever have a moment where you're like, I need to stay out late, Dad, and you know, I just need another hour? Like, did you ever negotiate? Do you have any stories like that? I I have several. Okay. I have several. What do you yes. want to share? Uh, yeah, ne- negotiating through deadlines, uh, which is one of the topics we talk about, and and it's something that definitely came up in regards to my curfew uh-huh. when I was a senior in high school, and and so. What I learned from him in the hostage negotiation world is, you know, pretty almost no deadline is final, right? It's 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 something that people use to create emotion. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel pressure, so I'm going to put a deadline of tomorrow mm-hmm. on you so you feel that pressure. I'm trying right. to create that emotion. And so uh, I probably didn't handle it well at the time, right? I'm a, I'm a stupid 17-year-old, <laughs> but calling him five minutes before I'm supposed to be home, and I know I'm 90 minutes from the house. Right. I, I've tried that a few times, and I found that it, it got me into trouble. Yeah. And uh, it, a, I won't go into great detail about it, but uh, um, I was at a house party with, uh, with some friends and called my father from the front lawn to let him know that mm-hmm. I was going to be home late and I wanted to stay at this party. Mm-hmm. And he yelled so loud that I had to hold the phone <laughs> away from my face. Mm-hmm. And my buddies that got a ride up to this party with me all have a very clear distinction of hearing my father scream through the phone, <laughs> get home now. And so, yeah, I think I lost my keys to my car for about two months after that incident. But so I attempted it. It didn't work out very well in my favor at that time. Right. He's the right, dad. He's right. the boss. But, I, you know, I threw my hat. He in had the to ring. make a lesson. Like you had to teach <laughs> yeah. you a lesson. Right. So I could tell the story today. That's right. why that happened back then. <laughs> Absolutely. So what did, did you learn any lessons from that? Or did you, did you just learn to to you said something about uh, negotiating through deadlines. Is there a is there a lesson in there that you learned so the next time you could stay out later, where you could kind of flip it on them or like, you know, if I could go back, knowing what I know now, if I could go back and do it again, as soon as my father picked up the phone, I would have said, "Dad, you're gonna be really mad at me. You're not gonna like what I have to say, and uh, you're probably gonna want to punish me pretty hard based on what I what I gotta ask you." Mm-hmm. And I would have gave him time to think. Right, I would have, I would have laid it out and some something in that fashion he might be and thinking just let you, him think. You did wreck the car. Right, that's or probably what, just, I'm in jail. Yeah, right. I'm I'm actually You're making calling your one call. you. Right, right, right. I got, I'm making my one phone call right right now. So Sitting in the back of a police car and it's, I'm at this party. I'd like to stay. And ah, it's late. Right, I could see him be like, ah, it's late. You know what? Why don't you just stay there? It's safer. Right, you don't need to be driving at yeah. three o'clock in the morning. Right, so Spend just the stay night. there. You see you in the morning, son. As yeah. opposed to like, ah, you know, I got entitlement. Right, I'm I'm seventeen. Yeah. I want to stay here. I should be out partying. It's the summer after my senior year. You're supposed to be out partying with friends. <laughs> yeah. I should be able to stay here and and uh, come. We well, just gave him the power was... to to say to. He just gave because when you told him before, hey, I'm I'm leaving now. I'm on the lawn or whatever. Yeah. He was out of control. Like you didn't do what he asked. You didn't. You know. You totally disobeyed him. Right. Of course. Woke him up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And now <laughs> and now he's upset and he's not in, in control. But if you would have done that, you would have given back him the control. Like, what should I do? You know, like I messed up. Very much so. It's right. in your hands. Right, right. As opposed to something I'm, I want you to give me. Like this is in your hands. Mm-hmm. So how, so how do we do that as a mortgage company, like, or as a mortgage broker? Say, 
you quoted a rate to your borrower of say, you know, three and a half percent, but then they didn't qualify for that product. And then now you're going to have to, you know, but you have another option potentially that's a, you know, a little bit higher rate, more fees or something like that. How would you approach that call when you make that call? Cause no one likes to give that call and no one likes to hear that call if you're on the other end. So that's, is that's it the exactly same right. concept? Like I, I've got some news that you're not going to want to hear. It's probably going to ruin your day. Like tell it, tell us like, right. Yeah. It's a combination of things. And what's great about what, what you guys do is there is a sequencing of conversations. Right. And so, uh, letting people know that this is something we're going to try for, mm-hmm. but there's a chance that it might not happen. Kind of like, setting up expectations. Yeah, being yeah. very clear about that. Like this, if if you have the best qualifications, the best credit, the best everything, the best history, mm-hmm. this is what you'll qualify for. Right. However, right, we got to take a look at it and we got to see. And as soon as I know, you'll know. Right. Right. That's the other thing. Like they look at you as a, as a trusted advisor in a lot of ways. Right. And so if you if you never let them get caught off guard and if you're constantly using your communication to set expectations moving forward, Mm -hmm. then they're always going to look at you as somebody like, well, you know what? I didn't get the rate that I wanted, but, you know, John never leaves me astray. Right. Right. He always makes sure that I know what's coming at me and I'm never caught off guard by it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when when he tells me something, I, I believe him. Right. And and that's sequencing out your conversation to prepare them for what they're going to see in the future, as opposed to letting them get caught off guard by it when we get hit by the train. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of it. And then the communication side, you know, using accusations audits, right? And you're probably not going to like this. We got to we got to run. We got to run it through the system first and see what the system kicks out right. before I can make any promises to you. I don't want to lead you astray. I don't want to promise you anything that I can't deliver on. Mm-hmm. So we need to go through this process first, right? And if they know that coming in. They're going to have a better chance to, when, when you deliver that news, they're going to have a better uh, outcome or better response yeah. when you give them the bad news, right? Exactly right. And to your point, as we were talking offline earlier, right, when they've seen the billboards and the commercials that say, yeah. you know, you can get this rate if you engage in this process, right, that they let go of some of that. Because a small caveat, the fine print out of those is if you have a perfect credit score. Right. And right. you've never missed a payment in the last 15 years, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's not part of the, uh, the marketing scheme because they don't yeah. want to scare people off. Yeah. So do you, do you, in that call, do you bring up, you know, some of the reasons why, like you kind of, when you're bringing them back down to reality, like you, you're not this person, you're not this, Mm -hmm. this a borrower, you're not this pristine borrower that you might've thought in your head. And here's why, like, do you have to like kind of show them like, you know, you you missed, did you miss this payment or do you get them involved in that conversation or you just sort of tell them, but is it, is it kind of like, you know, I see here on your credit, you know, you did miss a payment and that, that's what the underwriters bringing up. And that's what kind of kicks you out of the, the, the best, you know, tier that we've got. Like, what's the best way to deliver that message? Do you want to bring in some of the negatives that, that have caused them to not fit into that, you know, into that product or? Mm-hmm. Well, how does, as when you're working with them, how does it help you to know why they missed the payment two years ago? Well, you, yeah, and you might, you know, what, what happens a lot is, Someone will tell you, I've got an 800 credit score, right? And then you pull their credit and it's like and it's 620, not. you know? Right, right. And, and there's also two kinds of credit reports. There's a, a consumer report that you get from like, you know, uh, credit karma or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's mm-hmm. the mortgage report, which is like way more in depth. It's a tri-merge report. It's, it, it's, it's got a narrower um, range, like 550 to 850, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, or maybe 500 to 850, but 
where like on your credit karma, it's more of like a 900 to like six or you know, something like that. Right. So you're not a little different. It's just so misleading because people always think they have better scores than they do when they come into mortgages. And um, so you have to give them that bad news a little bit, you know, often. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. Generally, you guys use the the lowest score, right? If, there's, if you're looking at three score, you guys the use middle. the middle one. Okay, right. so either way, they're still not their best score of right. the three is still not being used. Right, and that catches some people off guard. Right, because they look at the credit karma, they see the eight twenty five. Right, but then their middle score is you know seven fifty or whatever. Right, it's probably not that far apart, but it's definitely it is, less usually, than that. Yeah, right, yeah. and and it, that's what catches them off guard. So right. as a trusted advisor. Letting them know ahead of time when we do this. Like when they throw out, oh, I got an 800. Well, how do you know you have an 800? Mm -hmm. Like asking them that. Yeah, it, it can't hurt. It yeah. can't hurt. What, you know, uh, what, what was, uh, how'd you, how'd you attain that score, right? Where'd you, mm -hmm. where'd you get the information from? Mm -hmm. Oh, I got it from here. Okay. Just you know, to let you know. <laughs> right. Just because yeah. I, I, because I want to make sure that you were not surprised by any part of this. Right. We don't use credit karma score. Right. This is the process that we go through. Yeah. And the reality is when everything comes back, you're probably going to be shocked by the credit score number that we use. Right. And I just want you to know that before we even get down that road, mm -hmm. I want you to know that you are going to be surprised by this. Right. That's good. You're setting them up for the right expectation. It's, it's good. That's it. Expectation. Let's talk about negotiation types. So uh, kind of like the Kung Fu movies where, you know, one guy's doing jujitsu, one guy's doing, you know, like Taekwondo or whatever it right, is, right? right like right. Um, Kung Fu. Um, what, you know, there's people that have different styles of negotiations. Like when you, Very much so. you know, there's the, the bat, you know, hit you over the head. And then there's the, like, I'm your best friend, right? Like talk to us about the, I think there's three or four, maybe, I don't know if you, this would be something you would know. Uh, what are the, the most common types of negotiations? Yeah, so and are, is there a better one? Ah, great. Yeah, great, great questions. And please feel free to remind me of those as I work my way through this. Because jujitsu is pretty, pretty awesome. It is. <laughs> it is right. It, it very much is. We use in some of our marketing, right? This right. this whole verbal judo, verbal jujitsu thing. Right. Uh, so the way the way based on the data that we've gathered over the last ten some odd years, the world pretty much breaks evenly into thirds. Okay. There isn't really a dominant type within the world that's that's really uh, um, uh, taking names, as it were, or, or leading the pack. It, everybody, it pretty much breaks down into thirds. And the simple way to look at it is there's fight, flight, and make friends. Yeah. And what we define at the Black Swan Group is the assertive, the analyst, and the accommodator. Gotcha. And the assertive, as you mentioned earlier, that kind of bludgeon, beat you over the head, very... Mm -hmm very direct and what comes off as a counterpart to the assertive, someone who seems extremely emotional, mm -hmm. but they see themselves as being very direct and honest. Right. And then that's, that's our fight mode. Mm -hmm. The analyst is, is a little bit more standoffish that, you know, we look at these, this type is being very pragmatic and mm -hmm. also very skeptical in nature. Do you think they have less emotion? I think they got just as much emotion as everybody else. They just else. show it differently. They just, that's exactly it. They show it differently. What I, what I find hilarious about an, the analyst type mm -hmm. is, you know, as we're sitting here from, from the table up, there's nothing you can see. Right. But when I feel under pressure, if you could look at my feet and see how my feet are dancing underneath the table or how my, my hands are, mm -hmm. you know, twiddling my thumbs, right? right? That's how they show it physically, but in a much more subtle way as opposed to just screaming and pointing and yelling like waving your hands waving exactly yeah. right very much using more profanity whatever it might be yeah exactly right exactly right and then we got our accommodator who's who's our make friends the accommodator 
more what's more important to them than actually making a deal is just making sure that we're good. Right. I want to make sure that you and I are personally on good terms. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you like me. Right. Which is kind of interesting for the analyst and the assertive. They couldn't they could care less whether or not you like them. Right. But to the accommodator, that's a foundational piece of how we're going to work together moving forward is if we like each other. Yeah. So those are the three types. Now, is it possible to have all three in your in your kind of your toolbox or is it is it just that that's just the natural leaning way and someone can maybe try to do it this other way if they if they're skilled? You know what I mean? Like, is that? Yeah, that's a That's a great question. And so, no, it's not impossible. To answer that question, okay. right? And but it's something to be worked towards. Mm-hmm. And the way that we describe it is, this is really the beginning of the discussion, right? We we there's no way we can put people in boxes like you. You thirty people, you're all assertives, and mm-hmm. you thirty five, you're accommodators, right? It doesn't work that way. The reality it's is more of a spectrum with like a like a mix. Yeah, uh, gotcha. yeah. But but really, what we want to boil down to is when someone feels like they got punched in the teeth in a negotiation, mm-hmm. which that happens in negotiation. That's kind of the nature of the conversation. They lost. in a lot of ways. Yeah. When you feel like you get punched in the teeth in a negotiation, you're going to react one of three ways. And so, if you're the one throwing the punch, being very aware of how they're probably going to react to it is going to help you sequence out your communication with that person. Is it like chess in that way? In a lot of ways, I think it is. In Do you a lot want to know what their next is. move is before? Like, yeah, I, I play a little bit of chess. I would compare it to spades. Okay, right. If I had, if I had to pick a sit down mm-hmm. game, right, because there's a teamwork aspect there, and there's you know you 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 control your own destiny in a lot of ways based on your cards, which is uh, similar in chess, except there's no team aspect. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, being able to read the moment, or for example, like, and for those of you who don't play spades, probably won't get this, but. You got you got jokers, right? Mm-hmm. Big and little. And so if I'm gonna play a little joker because I wanna make you play the big, mm. I'm trying to draw the card out of hand. I know you're gonna win the book because your card's higher than mine, mm-hmm. but I got a plan based on what else is in my hand. Mm-hmm. I need to get that card out of my way so that I can run the table. Mm. And that's that's very much like it is, right? I'm gonna get your negative emotion out of the way mm-hmm. because I'm getting ready to run the table. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's a good example. Um, so, do you think there's one type of negotiation that's more effective than the other? You know, when it comes to just pure default, and again, right, nature versus nurture, right? All there's so much that can be had around this, but uh, when just straight default, right? Haven't had any training, not a lot of experience. I would actually say that the accommodators got the leg up hmm. because, and the reason for that is. Because they come from a genuine place of, I want you to like me, they're also more likely to really want to understand where you're coming from. Like mm-hmm. the analysts and the assertives always have our own, and my natural type's an assertive. So I, you know, gotcha. I very much resonate with that. So you use our own agenda when, when we're pushing. When you're getting the hotel room, you're using the accommodator. Trying to. Right. Doing my best. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. I got to admit, I, I stand in the mirror and I smile at myself, right? So right. I know what it looks like. It does take practice. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, to your point, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be like the accommodator. I want them to like me. I want mm-hmm. them to know that I empathize with their situation. Right. You work at a hotel, you probably get screamed at at least twice a day. There's going to be, you got, you got 500 rooms in this building. Mm-hmm. I guarantee there's at least one person that's unhappy with their accommodations. Mm-hmm. And they came to you and yelled at you. Last thing you need is another person showing up to give right. you more crap for something that's not actually your fault because housekeeping didn't 
you know, they didn't clean the bathroom right or whatever right. it is, right? right. It's not the, it's not the, the concierge's fault or whoever's checking people in. Or your room service never showed up or whatever. Yeah, right. That's that's yeah. another great example. Your room service was an hour late. You got the wrong food, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to deal with those with those issues. Right. And so making sure that, like, I don't look like them, which mm-hmm. I think is a, is, a, is, a, is a foundational piece to a lot of conversation. Mm-hmm. I want you to know that I don't look like the difficult people you deal with on a regular basis. Right. We're going to be able to interact differently. And then going back to this accommodators thing, human nature tells us that people are collaborative. Mm-hmm. Right? Even way back in the caveman days, we lived in groups. Mm-hmm. We leaned on each other to survive. Yep, in the village. and the, yep. that, And that, 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 that's ingrained in us, and it always will be. Mm-hmm. And so if you can play to that naturally, right. that, that does, in fact, give you a leg up. Now, the flip side, the other side of that coin for an accommodator is because they're so focused on being like, they also have a tendency to get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they don't they don't know when to hit the brakes until it's like too late. Right. Right. I've given up four or five things and now we're in this situation. And it's like, oh, what did I do to myself? Sure. So that's, that's the only kind of downside to the accommodator that because they, they want to please so much. Mm-hmm. But it's they I, I think they very much have a leg up. I mean, if someone likes you and we talk about this in the book. Uh, you're six times more likely to make a deal with someone you like. Right. Based yeah. on no other criteria. Mm-hmm. Just because you like them, right? Why? Especially if they're acting like the accommodator um, versus the, the kind of like in the same example we started with, where you, like if you come out, you know, I need this, I deserve this. You want to put the brakes and the shield up and they dig your heels in. And if you're, but if it's the other way around, you're going to be way more willing to give a little bit, right? That's, that's a great point. Yeah. The sense of entitlement, pride, and ego is mm-hmm. automatically knocked out based on how an accommodator naturally approaches communication with others. Right. And then you also like, if we're using the same example, like if that person behind the desk can't give you the best suite, you know, they're going to feel like they still let you down versus like, oh, yeah, I could get you an upgrade to this. It's a better view. You're still going to be way happier. Yeah. And they know that they're going to make you happy, even if it's just a little give, right? Yeah, very, very much so. I, the, the, I think the worst response I've ever gotten was, we're all sold out tonight. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to move, I can put you in a suite tomorrow night. Yeah, it's a good, still a great response. Still giving me good options, right? Yeah. At least opening, opening up the doors for me to, to, to make, a, make a good choice. Absolutely. So um, often we're on the phone, right? We're doing mm-hmm. most of our sales on the phone. Yep. Um, how important is it? We've heard the sales technique kind of mirror the borrower, mirror the uh, the person, the prospect, like mm-hmm. mirror kind of their if they're like da 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 talking real loud and you know up up uppity and intense, you kind of match that. Versus you know if someone's like hey what's up you know they're chill and then you can kind of mirror that chill vibe with them. What how important is that or is that even a technique you guys use? No, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Cause there's a lot of stuff about mirroring out there, mirroring body language, right. When you're in person or mirroring mm-hmm. tone, when you're on the phone, there's a lot of that out there. And I personally don't give it too much merit, especially okay. if you're dealing with someone who's loud and aggressive and you match and you that. You want to heat it up more, right? It's like, you, would you go into the woods and look a grizzly bear in the eye? No. Because the grizzly bear is going to feel challenged. Right. Same situation. That person's going to feel challenged. And do you want to create collaboration or do you want us to be in a boxing match? Yeah. And so that's something you got to ask yourself. And, and if someone's down and low or, or very chill, um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to match mm-hmm. because there's there's no uh, potentially right there there's no um 
adverse effects to just being very calm, mm-hmm. right? As there can be to being very aggressive. Right. So that's, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but more so you can control their tone of voice. You can control their actions. You can control the serotonin and dopamine that are getting dropped into their brain on how you interact with them. And so if they're very chill and you're very happy and bubbly, mm-hmm. you're easier to talk to. Right. Right? Like, oh, you know what? I gotta like talking to this person. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, John sounds like a really nice guy. Yeah. Right. And and so I wouldn't necessarily mirror as opposed to what affect do you want them to hear and why? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's part of the prep process. What affect do you want them hearing, and what are the reasons for it? Right. Well, like with social media, they've scientists have now said like the reason why it works so well and mm-hmm. becomes so addictive is because when you're getting these likes and these comments and these, you know, follows or whatever, people get a serotonin or a dopamine hit. Right. Exactly. And so you mentioned on the last question that you can on a phone call also kind of pop that into their brain. Mm-hmm. And do you ever look at that? Cause when I put those two and two together, because you know that someone will leave a situation like, you know, like a phone, like they're looking at their phone, right? They're Oh, I got 10 likes on, you know, on this, this image or hundred likes, whatever it is. And if they didn't get any likes, they're like, ah, you know, they feel bad. But if you, they leave that little moment feeling good, it makes them happy. Right. So how do you do that on a call? Is it, is it like, I've always learned that people, like they say, they don't remember what you said. They may remember how you made them feel. How right. You made them feel. That's so, it. When we're talking to someone, is there a technique to make them feel good? I think it would be listening, right? Listening to what they have to say, letting them kind of think they're controlling the conversation, even though maybe you're steering it by questions you have. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some techniques that you've seen that can add that dopamine or serotonin to, their, to, the, to the call into their brain? It sounds stupidly simple, but when you smile over the phone, people can hear it. And yeah. that's, that's, that sounds ridiculously stupid, but the reality is people can hear it and you, you become easier to talk to in those moments. The other part about listening, and this is where this whole term of active listening has come up and, and we don't use that term ourselves, but you have to let them know that you're listening. Mm-hmm. Simply being quiet and looking them in the eye or just giving them the, the space over the phone isn't enough. Mm-hmm. You got to verbalize to them. This is what I heard you say. Gotcha. So they know you're, and then that gives them that serotonin because they, they know they're being heard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's it. What else? That's it. The other, the other part of it is, um, well, and it, well, really it's, there's several different ways to do it. There's several different ways, whether you're using summary, you're using labels, you're using mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. We define the mirror is just simply repeating the last three words or repeating the gist Mm-hmm. of what they said somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. right? Being able to to verbalize that back to them in mm-hmm. those different formats right. is how you do it, right? Okay. You, you got to accomplish it. Here's several different tools in order to get there. Awesome. So that's, uh, that's huge because, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, people don't realize that they're getting this dopamine serotonin uh, in their head, but they leave the conversation with this positive feeling, like we all know the guy or girl that you go to at a party and talk to them and they never ask you a question about you. They mm-hmm. just, they just, you ask them a few questions about them. They tell, they brag a little bit and then they walk away and they never ask you anything. And then you just kind of like walk away from that situation feeling like they don't care. They, they're, you know, that was, I don't, that, that guy's a 
dick or whatever. You know, right. I'm, I'm not getting those three minutes back or whatever it right. was, right? Twenty minutes back in my life, yeah. And and uh, but I think you know, knowing that you can do that in that conversation is power. That's that's exactly. And those are actually great people to practice on. Yeah. Right. And for, and for some, for some set of subsets of the population, not offering any of their own story is actually what makes them more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So being able to speak to those people is actually great practice. Interesting. And, and just, um, I hate yeah, the you term might ask them questions and they might be like, eh, I just don't want to really want to talk about right. that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a signal of you're dealing with that type of person. Yeah. That's, right. a, that's a great point. That's a great point. But as that person, right, if you're operating in that environment, I hate the term parroting. But it seems people understand what that means, right? It's mm-hmm. simplistic. Simply repeating back to them the same words that they said to you occasionally, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of minutes, every fourth or fifth verbalization, that's actually a big part of that. Right. That's good. Um, let's talk about, you know, how Mike Tyson, when he came into the ring, he said he used to be able to tell what kind of puncher they are, they are from the way they walk, from the way they kind of carry themselves. And so he visually could see you know, his, his opponent and how to set up a defense, how to set up his attack. Is there something that you can get out of that? Like kind of to use for, for, for negotiations? Yeah. We, we, we quote the great philosopher, Mike Tyson often when we do training <laughs> and we, we, use, we talk about that a lot of times. And yeah. yeah, the reality is, yeah. When, when they're walking in the room, the way that they shake your hand, mm-hmm. how they carry themselves, the way that they've dressed, mm-hmm. it's going to tell you a lot about how they're going to approach the communication. We, we were doing a training years ago, Chris and I, in, uh, uh, in the Netherlands. Okay. And casual environment, one guy shows up in a three-piece suit, hair slicked back. Not a very big guy, mm-hmm. but you could feel the energy coming off this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like dead on assertive. You can just, just the way he carried himself... The way that he looked, the fact that he chose to dress in this custom suit when everybody else has got on like jeans and t-shirts mm-hmm. tells you a lot about how that guy's gonna approach communication. And so yeah, that gives you a leg up. Start looking for it early, right? Don't don't let yourself, don't let your senses turn on when you get to the table. Mm. Start looking for tells, as it were. Before you get beforehand, to the table. right? right, how, right. how they carry themselves, the way they look, the way they shake hands, the way they interact with people on their team. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the reality is if they're really nice to somebody on their team, mm-hmm. they're probably going to be nice to you. Right. If they're a jerk to people on their team, how are they going to treat you at the negotiation table, right? And so, right. yeah, a lot, a lot of that is, it's all good information. It's all yeah, useful. Yeah, so it's, it's, I'm hearing just be very observant, just use that emotional intelligence just to watch and just know like what, what someone's going to do. And, and you can kind of get a, a vibe or get a, like a good sense as to what they're going to do, right? I mean, that's, that's what you're saying. Very much. I mean, people give off energy. Yeah. We do, and we do it on a. It happens on a subconscious level, right? And so, you if you start tuning yourself to pick that stuff up, you're going to be better informed. Are there any exercises that our listeners can do better? Um, you know, to kind of identify, like, kind of what you're saying, like, be in tune. Um, but do you think there there are any exercise you can practice? Because sometimes getting to one of those situations, you know, you you're gonna. Oh, I remember what Brandon said, but. But man, I forget, like, is there, but can you practice, you know, uh, like kind of like you said earlier when the, in the party, like you're practicing on those people, Mm -hmm. but -hmm. is there other ways, like you mentioned, look in the mirror, you know, smile, like, is there other practices or exercises you can do? Um, you know, we always role play when we, we try to learn how to be a better cold caller, but like, what are some practices that you or exercises you've, you've done 
to make you you know better at this? Yeah, that's a great question. And there are a lot. And, and I'm sure Tony Robbins didn't coin this phrase, but he's the first one I heard say it, which is repetition is the mother of skill. Mm, yeah. So you got to get your reps in. Mm-hmm. Right. So practice on your Lyft and Uber drivers. That's if good. you got a couple minutes to spare. Yeah. Negotiate in a stop. Right. Because the way the app works, if you want an right. extra stop, you got to put it into the app. Mm-hmm. Well, don't put in an extra stop and negotiate it when you get in the car. I love doing that. Yeah. Uh, that That's one. Uh, if like you, you if stop you fly- and get me, we're going to get some tacos. I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll get you one too. Or like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great way to practice. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you take public transportation occasionally, use it on strangers. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. That's it. It's, and some of this too, you got to understand you're going to be uncomfortable. I think what I think stops people from practicing is like, it feels weird to do it. And yeah. it's like, you're going to feel weird, except the fact you're going to feel weird but you're going to be better on the other end of this because mm-hmm. you allowed yourself to engage. What do you think that does to the human mind when you make yourself uncomfortable? Cause that I've heard that a lot. And we as humans don't like to be uncomfortable, right? Like, we don't. you know, some people uh, are crazy and they just want to go push themselves to the limits all the time. You know, I know yeah. a few of those people, but I think a lot of people are, are just, you know, they want to have the least resistance. They, they don't like being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So like, do you just make yourself do it? Like, okay, I'm going to, when I'm on the train today, this morning, or I'm on the, you know, you know, in the elevator, I'm just going to, I mean, just like, what do you do? Yeah. It's, 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 it is a mental hurdle and it is, it's not, it's no more complicated than what you're doing yourself in your own head. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, make the decision to, right. If you ever bungee jump to jump off that bridge mm-hmm. or out of that, or, you know, or, or, or ski down that mountain, right. You mm-hmm. got to make the decision to like, I'm going to engage in this. It works the same way. Yeah. And so just understand that it's going to feel weird. And the reality is the more you do it, the less uncomfortable it feels. Absolutely. Right. You get your repetitions in and by your, you know, by your 64th or 65th rep, which is kind of, you know, our basic number, it feels more comfortable. Like you, you get excited about the fact that I'm getting ready to check into a hotel and I'm going to negotiate <laughs> upgrade to a suite. Yeah. Because I've done it 60 times before. That's awesome. First time I did it, it felt really weird. Like, oh, man, what are they going to say to me? Like, ah, oh, you're stupid. Just go to your room. Please and leave me alone. Right. Yeah, what, right how right. are they going to respond? And so, yeah. Did just, it kind of fumble the, the first time and you still made it happen? Like, You know, I've, I've played with different phrases. And mm-hmm. then I've come up with kind of like a basic kind of three-step system. Mm-hmm. And it's it's varied. And that's just come from repetitions. Like, ah, you know what? Uh, I got the upgrade, but I could tell that they weren't happy about it. Right. Right. So they how can I make that easier? Yeah, right? Right. Yeah. And on the next rep, what am I going to change so that mm-hmm. they're actually like, oh, yeah, we'd love to give you an upgrade. Right. Matter of fact, we have three different suites you can choose from, which has happened to me before. Like, we got these three different suite options. Which one do you want? Which one would you like? You're just like going, how? Yeah, that, 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 one, that one blew me away. I never expected that to happen. Yeah, that's cool. Do you think it, it helps, uh, Is you know, the way you're dressed or the way you present yourself? You know, when you go into that situation, you know, if you're, if you're uh, you know, smiling, you know, or like, do you, you actually have to put, it's almost like you're an actor. In a way. In some ways, yeah. In some ways, it yeah. kind of, especially at first, that's how it feels. It almost, right. And that's what, that's what makes people uncomfortable, too, because if that's not the, your normal way of communicating, mm-hmm. it can feel disingenuous. Right. But the reality is, what's your intention? Mm-hmm. Right? Your intentions is, is really what changes the fact, like, are you using your powers for good or for evil? Right, right. And so, yeah, that's, um, so your initial impression you would think that being super well-dressed or, you know, looking a certain way might help. 
Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, when I travel, I'm usually in sweats and a T-shirt. Yep. Like, I do not look like a professional. Part of that is kind of on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so when I walk up, you know, I got a, I got a T-shirt on. I probably have it, my chain out. I got a chain my mother gave me that I always <laughs> wear, and I usually wear it mm-hmm. over the top of my T-shirts and sweats or, or just regular jeans and some boots on. Mm-hmm. And people love dealing with me. That's cool. Yeah. Should you try to be, you know, multifaceted when being a negotiator? Short answer is yes. Okay. Short answer is yes. Like you, you should strive. You should be able to use the accommodator. You should be able to, and you know, in the situations we want to, when you want to be the, you know, the, the, the assertive one or the analytical, right? Like, right. Exactly. Because the reality is what's great about the assertive type is the assertive type is good at getting their own objectives across. Right. And so in every negotiation, there is a time that's probably going to come where you got to lay out what you're looking for mm-hmm. and what you need. And the accommodator doesn't necessarily like to do it because it might upset the other person. Right. The analyst doesn't like to do it because it might, in fact, upset the other person. They don't care so much that you're upset, but it's hard to move forward if we are conflicting. Right. That's the way the analyst sees it. And for the assertive, they don't really care so much. You just, you need to know what I want because how are you going to give it to me if I don't tell you? Mm-hmm. And so some of that is necessary, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a small percentage of the time, but it is key. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, kind of general approach uh, to negotiations, we say, you know, we want to be probably assertive maybe one or two percent of the time. You know, the rest of the time is split between the accommodator and the analyst, but very much so leaning on the accommodator side. Gotcha. You know, 80 plus percent of the time you're going to want to be in the accommodator, collaborative, smiling, friendly, easy to talk to mode. It's good. Good advice. Um, I have a situation that just recently happened uh, where a borrower wanted a certain rate. Mm. And I could tell they were very motivated, right? They were really motivated trying mm. to get the deal done. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we came back and said, you didn't qualify for this super low rate. They wanted cash out, right? So they, I, I thought the motive or the benefit to the borrower was something other than rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and came back, said, this is what you qualify for. It's you know, obviously not the rate that you want. And they, they said, then I don't really want the loan. And so um, my initial response would be something like, you know, we can get you the cash out that you wanted. You know, there's a good kind of sell the benefit. You know, it's not that much higher of a payment. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of took a takeaway approach where it was like, or we can just cancel the loan. And over time, you know, I've learned sometimes a a large portion of people, they respond to the takeaway mm-hmm. because when you, you retreat, they advance, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't work right. Backfired. They just said cancel loan. Yeah. And then it was like super short. I kind of thought maybe they'll come back, you know, and cause I don't think they're going to get it elsewhere because mm-hmm. of their situation. Right. And they haven't heard it's been crickets for like two weeks. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. there's still a chance they might come back cause they maybe were going out trying to find something better. They won't find it and they'll come back. Do you think there's certain people that will do that advance if you retreat or you take away an option? Um, or do you think there's some people that just they either know that game and they just, they're like, it, it pisses them off. You know, is that kind of going back to you should have, I should have probably built more rapport. I should have known this client better. You know, that's, kind of that's yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. There are a lot of angles to come at that, but, I, but actually I got, I got a question for you. Okay. How did you know this person was a motivated buyer? Well, it was a cash out. So they wanted some cash for something. They wanted a large amount of cash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were 
kind of all up in my business for the first week, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so like a mortgage will take about 30 days, typically, yeah. typically and sometimes less, right. sometimes more. Um, you know, where like sometimes you, you know, I kind of compare this to maybe a hostage situation might be a day, two, maybe hours, maybe, maybe a week. Mm-hmm. But you know, the longer that probably plays out, the worse it probably gets, right? <laughs> it's okay. <so> yeah. <laughs> um, in a mortgage, you kind of like you're, you know, they all, they, there's a saying time kills all deals, you know, in our, in our business. So you want to get it done as quickly as you can before something else comes up or they get another offer that, you know, you, um, so I knew that they were motivated by cash because of some of the, uh, some of the tell signs that they were giving an email and phone call, you know, uh, adding this, you know, the wife to the CC kind of going like, okay, I am trying to get this mm-hmm. cat, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think probably in, in retrospect, and I don't do a lot of loans, but yeah. as the CEO of the company, I want to keep my finger on the pulse right. to help, you know, our brokers that come in. So I get business and, and I'll just push it through and, and make sure that, you know, we have a good system. But in this particular case, I was like, kind of like thrown off a little bit by, because I knew we couldn't get another loan somewhere else. I, and, mm-hmm. and so maybe, you know, I never really went down the path of saying like calling and, you know, trying to figure out try to save the deal and all these different things, which I normally would have done if I wasn't the CEO and busy with other things. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just expected the situation would kind of fix itself by the takeaway. Right. Cause that's for me the easiest way. Cause I'm already too busy to, right. to go and chase them. Right. And at the end of the day, it's like, it doesn't matter that much if the deal closes for me, but it, it, it does matter for a lot of people. That's what they live off. Right. Is mm-hmm. their deals. Mm-hmm. So, um, the takeaway skill, you know, and in, in hostage situation, you know, if you just took something off the table, right? Like that tends to work, but not with everyone. Right. Yeah. No, it's definitely a mixed bag. And, and to, to the point about how you knew as a motivated buyer, based on your observation and experience, whether consciously or subconsciously, mm-hmm. you picked up on all the tells that said, right, this person's a motivated buyer because that's where your ears are open to. Right. Right. And so my, my advice for the audience would be open the ears towards type. Mm-hmm. as well right in addition to what you already do well so that's mm-hmm. that's the number one thing which i think is great mm-hmm. on your part and says a lot about your uh experience and expertise in the, in the area being able to pick up on stuff like that right that quickly and then so you use the takeaway on a motivated motivated buyer they walked away from the table and so moving forward if you run into the same situation again knowing that them getting news made them walk away that's what you lead with before you drop the news on them. Got bad news. I this didn't news do is that. so bad, yes. it's probably going to make you want to want to walk away altogether. I, I would imagine when I tell you this, you're probably not even going to want to proceed. Dude, Silence. That's so good. That's and so then good. lay it on them. That's so good. Your and rate's going to be a little that's a higher. Great, that's, that's However, a great example. Right. right. Yeah, I wish I would have used that. That's that's. Uh... Well, now you know for next time. You some if it's not you, somebody around here is going to run into that situation oh, yeah. again, right? So yeah, now you huge. get that canned response ready to go. And I bet you the outcome would have been way better because potentially, yeah, right. And, and then maybe the rate, you know, I maybe the rate would have been a little lower. Maybe they would have, you know, said, "Well, I could do it if I get this rate." You know, and it would have been more of a right kind of a negotiation instead of a, just a complete break, you know, complete failure of the situation. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. And may, maybe, maybe it wouldn't have gone through, right. There's no guarantees in negotiation, right. no guarantees in life. Right. But maybe it would have opened up a new piece of information for you. Maybe it would have been mm-hmm. willing to tell you like, well, you know what? I was really looking for that rate for these reasons. And these are these other things that got coming at me in my life. And I was hoping that this all lined up together. 
right? Who mm-hmm. knows? Or I just got an inheritance and I need the money anymore. You, you know, it could, be, could yeah. be a number of reasons, right? right? That's where the whole black swan thing fits in, right? These small mm-hmm. pieces of information that, if discovered, change the outcome. Right. Last thing I want to touch on is back to what you were saying about making yourself uncomfortable. Mm. I remember on my 30th birthday many years ago, I uh, jumped I out of the plane. Four or five years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> give or take. Uh, I jumped out of a plane with uh, skydiving. It was like, you know, it's, I'm 30 years old. I'm going to go skydiving. Awesome. Awesome. And, I'm already jealous. <laughs> and so, you know, I pumped up the whole time, kind of in the back of my head, a little nervous. You know, it's definitely out of my comfort zone. I'm not a thrill seeker necessarily from yeah. From uh, from my you know, that's not my natural thing, right? Um, and so I remember you know your your tandem when you do this usually your mm-hmm. tandem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember walk like they're inching towards the exit of the the plane, right? And as we're inching, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna be amazing. This is gonna be amazing. And in my head, and then getting to the wind the door when it's open, and you're looking out, and you're seeing you know no net, nothing. Just right. just you're like seeing the land. Um, my body sort of resisted, like put my hands to stop and my feet kind of dig in my heels, even though my head was like, this is going to be amazing and thrilling. But like, I think my uh, subconscious was resisting it. Right. Like, so I'm wondering, like when you try to put yourself, like I'd never done that, but I'm sure if I went a second or third time, it would have been way different. My subconscious would have probably let me do it. You know, I, I ended up doing it, but I just remember that experience and how I was surprised that my subconscious was doing that to myself. Mm-hmm. So when you go into these uncomfortable situations, not only will we be like, you know, your head games a little bit, but you're also, your body might shake, right? Like there's probably things if you have never done it that you'll go through if you don't practice. I, I think, I think that that's a great point. And that's a, that's a fantastic example. And what I would tell you is if your instructor had a warned you that you might react that way before you got to the edge, you wouldn't have done it. Yeah, because you would have been prepared for it. You would have expected, and you would have been able to consciously resist the urge to do that. Right. And so, yeah, that the reality is, yeah, that can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. Um, first time I gave a presentation in front of a group, mm-hmm. I was shaking. Mm-hmm. Did not expect. Yeah, you know, right? It's an oral presentation, like in grammar school or something. Right? Sure. I'm in front yeah. of my class, and I know all these kids, but I'm still. Right. I'm all jittery up in front of them. And I I wonder if if I had known ahead of time that I might be that nervous once I got to the front, Mm -hmm. if I wouldn't have been so jittery. Somebody had told me to expect you you might feel so nervous that you're going to shake. I probably wouldn't have been shaken. Right. And so, yeah, some of that is just nobody warned you. So you didn't find out about it until you were in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what really separates great negotiators is when... Your counterparts never have to deal with that moment because you are guiding them through the process. That's interesting. And I, I compare it almost like to shooting a basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Follow through with a basketball or, or with a bowling ball is so important. Right. But it's practiced, right? Yeah, you're 10,000 hours, right? As soon as it leaves your hand, your natural reaction is to stop, mm-hmm. right? If the ball leaves your hand here, then your natural reaction is to stop. But right. you do reps where you follow all the way through every time. Mm-hmm. Same thing with bowling. I, I think that applies to everything. When it comes to muscle memory, mm-hmm. you got to practice it, right? And, that, and that's, yep. that's a great example of it. So go out and do things that make you uncomfortable. Get on calls. Just practice. I right. think that's what I'm hearing. There's no, there's no way around the wall. Yep. You got to go through it. Yep. Or there's go just no it. way around. Or, yeah, exactly. Which is hard too. Yeah. You gotta climb. Yeah. You gotta climb and you gotta go through it. One or the other, right? There's right. No, there is no shortcut. 
Yeah, there's no elevator to success. <laughs> exactly. You gotta take the stairs. Take the stairs. Exactly. Speaking of quotes, uh, one of my favorites is "Fortune favors the bold." Yeah, and I love it because, like I said before, I'm not that necessarily super assertive person, mm-hmm. and and like to be out of my comfort zone. But I love that that quote, and it pushes me, and it reminds me of what I got to do to be successful. Right? So do you have a, a favorite quote? You know, there's there's several I like. We talked about the Tyson one, right? I would bring that up. I mean, diamonds are fours under pressure, mm. right? I mean, you know, fortune favors the bold. And, and a great, great thing I love about that quote, too, is you don't got to be a jerk to be bold. Right. And I think that's sometimes where people get confused, right? I'm going to be bold here, so I'm going to stand up for myself, and I'm going to tell them like it is. And it's like, sure. that's, that's not, you can still be bold and not have this jerk approach to the process. Right. You can just speak the truth. You can... You know, just yeah. stand up for yourself and, you know, not give, not right. give in too much. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly right. There's all, all those diamond dynamics are at play. And it, yeah, there's there's so many. I mean, we mentioned the repetition is mother of skill. That's probably my favorite these days because mm-hmm. reps are so important, not just to us to stay sharp because mm-hmm. negotiation is a perishable skill. Right. You don't use it, you're going to lose it. So we got to stay sharp as instructors. And then when we work with people, right, if we're not doing it, how can we teach them to do it, right? right? So we're getting our reps in too. And we're not sitting off to the side, sipping margaritas, just waiting <laughs> for the next gig. Like we're out here practicing stuff. Absolutely. So if uh, one of our viewers or listeners wants to, do you ever do um, like co- coaching or do you guys ever go to like, could you go to a mortgage shop and teach some people some skills? Like how would they contact you? And, you know, would you do something like that? Would Black Swan be, you know, into doing something like that? Oh, we we would. Yeah, we work in, we work in a number of industries. Uh, anything from, you know, we, we got a guy that was a, a client of ours is we're in a small scrap business in Ohio all the way out to private equity firms in Asia. Mm-hmm. So wide, wide range of industries that we work within. But Rather, just if you're dealing with people, there's probably something we can offer to you that might help if you're talking to people at all. That's great. And yeah, we do we do a lot of coaching. Uh, we do a lot of in-person training, especially when it comes to corporate training. Mm-hmm. And then we also do uh, live uh, one and two day events all over the United States, which is why we're here in San Diego. Our first awesome. two day event ever. <laughs> we're doing great. we're doing this week here in this town. And so yeah, you can go to the website um, www.blackswanltd.com and there's a couple of forms on there, depending on what your situation is that, you know, you can fill out and that'll come to us. And you probably end up talking to um, uh, our head of business development, who's, mm-hmm. who's Davy Johnson, who was my right hand. I mean, she really is. We work together very closely. And uh, so that's, you know, there's, there's a lot that we do. We, we, we're we trying to increase our online presence more, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure. Can they follow you on a, like the social media accounts? What, yeah, how yeah. Do they do that? I, I, I personally do not do a lot of social media. For anybody sure. that follows me on social media, you already know I don't, I don't post <laughs> very much. I'm not huge in social media. But um, uh, the uh, Chris's, um, which escapes me at the moment. Please forgive me for this. You can probably find it on your website. Yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's on the site. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But, but I know uh, there's a yeah, ton he, of stuff. You follow him, yeah. We we Online, post stuff. The YouTube. business runs things through his his social media as well. Right. Yeah, YouTube, and we got a couple online courses now. Uh, our one of our biggest, one of our best coaches, Derek Gaunt, is also running a ten week online class. Nice. Uh, that we're limiting it to twenty, so that unfortunately the next two quarters are already full. Mm-hmm. But um, that information's on the website as well. So yeah, there's, there's there's several options there. That's great, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. John, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's Fun Loans together. Thank you.